Good morning, church. How are we doing today? So we're going to start off with a little question. How do we perceive the world? As researchers researchers have studied this question, they have found out that 83% of the way that we perceive the world is through sight. 11% is hearing, and the other 5% is split between the other three senses. And what does this tell us then? This tells us that if we do not see something, we have trouble perceiving it. There's something special about vision. In Hebrews 11.1, it states, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. It's amazing. When I read this scripture, the first half of the scripture is totally fine. Like, okay, having confidence in what we hope for? Yeah, I can hope. I can do that. That's, that's simple. I, I, I'm good at hoping. But the second part, confidence in what I do not see. That's the tough part. Because I like being able to see things. And if God could just show me him, his plans, I just feel like life would be so much more simple. And I'm like, hey, God, if you want to go from unseen to seen, you'd really help out my faith. But as Christians, we have to have faith in a God who is unseen. However, at the same time, we must not also stumble through our Christian faith blindly. It would be a loss if we decided to try to have our walk with God and do it with only 17% of our perception, our spiritual perception. A blind Christian would find themselves surprised by challenges and difficulties as they're not going to see them coming. They're going to be unable to see God's blessings in God's hand in their life. They're going to find themselves aimless, stuck, because they cannot see ahead. They're going to be unable to see and meet the needs of others, making faith become an individual battle. And also, they're going to find themselves more isolated. Or the other extreme, having to be handheld to do the basics, because they can't see. But we see that, again, God pays special attention to vision. Jesus healed the eyes of the blind so that they would see. And today, 
I want to take the opportunity to pull us back to not having a blind faith kind of journey, but rather having spiritual vision for our lives. So what does it mean to have spiritual sight? So we're going to go turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. So as you can tell, today is an Old Testament kind of day. And uh, from the welcome union to the uh, announcements and contribution, we are just staying in the Old Testament today. So we're going to go continue talking about Elisha. Uh, It reads in verse 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. And the report came back. He is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots in a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the king of Syria had a unique way of warring. Unlike what you imagine with like battles in the open plain, he had more of a calculated approach. It consisted of quick attacks at more, less defended areas with the idea of catching them off guard, defenseless, and unable to retaliate. And so with such a method, he has to imagine that someone is letting the Israelites know in the camp there must be a traitor because this is a method with low risk. All you have to do is have good intelligence um, gathering, and then it should be a good attack. But that's not the case. There is a prophet on the side of the Israelites. 
And so he decides to do a surprise attack and surround Dothan with the plan of taking down Elisha. And we as readers can often relate to the servant. When he comes and sees the city surrounded, don't we feel that sometimes in our life? Don't we feel like we're surrounded? But going back to the attack strategy of the king of Syria, isn't it strange? Didn't we just say how their whole strategy was catching people off guard, but the prophet was always letting them know where they were going to be attacked? Wouldn't doing the same exact method to the place where the prophet actually is not work out? Satan is no innovator. We're just seeing the same thing over and over again. He might change the time of day he's attacking, how the army gets there, uh, what the army is comprised of. Will he surround us with many soldiers or just send a huge hulking Goliath? But what is God's track record? When has he failed you? Even death has been defeated. Even sin has been overcome. What is there to be scared of, to be stressed about? In fact, if there's something that is scary about this story, it is not the army. We, already, we know God's track record. They're going to be fine. It's not even the angels that are able to wipe out this army. It's the fact that there can be sight, but not actually seeing. Though a pure blindness would be scary, what would be really frightening is if you think that you're seeing clearly, but one day you realize that, in fact, you see nothing at all. I'm a glasses wearer, you know? These, these glasses are not for reading. These are because I wouldn't be able to see the front row without them. And, and so when I was in sixth grade, I got my first pair of glasses. But if you were to ask me a few days before I had my eye exam whether I needed glasses, the answer would have been no. And here's how my eye exam went. I was guessing on the third line. And the third line, the, the letters are not small yet. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's probably an X, right? And they were like, that's a C. <laughs> and, but still, I thought I wouldn't have needed glasses just a few days prior. Here's where it gets worse. When you're in class and you have to go write the homework on your agenda, I had to go take my agenda, walk all the way over to the chalkboard to go write it down. Still, if you asked me if I needed glasses, I would have been like, no. 
how could I have been so blind to my own need for glasses? And it comes down to a competition. Me and my buddy Mark, just one random day after church, we decided to have like a sight com- a competition. Who had the better sight? And uh, I'm not going to toot my horn or anything, but I came out with a win there. Yes. And so I went around for the rest of that year, you know, referring to these eyes as eagle eyes. And, you know, eagles don't need glasses, okay? You you don't go out in nature and see a bald eagle and you're like, oh, (laughs) what prescription do you use? No. And what's so funny about that situation is you guys are like, how could that be? How could you have such bad vision but beat someone? (laughs) And the answer is Mark had... Astigmatism. <laughs> he couldn't see well either. We, it was the battle of the blind, <laughs> essentially. And, and I think that's sometimes how we can get. That sometimes we think our vision is fine because who we're comparing our vision to is the blind. <laughs> We're, we're, we're comparing it to people whose vision, spiritual vision, is worse than us. You know, we, we see people who might not be Christian, maybe not trying to see God. And when we have that as our comparison, we're like, we have eagle eyes. And let me tell you, you don't have to have eagle eyes. To, to beat some uh, people with astigmatism, you know? <laughs> He's like, do knocking him. All right. <laughs> and then some of us probably feel, have felt really good about our sight because the last time we had an eye exam, our sight was fine. And, and to be honest, Mark and I's vision probably both got worse, significantly worse. Uh, that the summer of fifth grade, I I got into like reading in the dark, and if you want to go join the crew that wears glasses, that's a fast track to doing so. You'll go from 2020 to 2080 or real quick, and so it's important to get your eyes checked. But the question is, are you getting your eyes checked? Are you making sure that you're still seeing clearly? We need the spiritual ophthalmologists in our life. We need those Elishas. Someone who will be able to talk with us and direct our eyes to the spiritual forces in our lives. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Are we seeing that? Do we have people in our lives that are directing our vision to that? 
When I think of some of my lowest times, one of my greatest regrets is that there were Elishas available. People that, were, that would have been able to speak truth and bring God's grace and perspective into my life, but instead I went through those, those situations without them. Instead of following the servant's example where he ran to Elisha, I was hoping, okay, maybe they'll come to me. When I have to recognize I'm the one in need. I need God's perspective in my life. Why would I wait for someone else? I'm the one that sees all this situation going bad. Why wait for someone else to come to me? But we see here that God does want us to be able to see the spiritual situation, to be aware of the spiritual forces that are present in every situation so that we can see tests of faith as they really are to see his blessings in hand in his life, to have direction, and to be able to see the needs of others, and to transform a faith from being an individual battle to a communal one. But I would be remiss, though, if I didn't point out perhaps the most convicting aspect of this scripture. Elisha's response to the army because he doesn't just observe what happens. He doesn't say, hey, I see the angels in the distance. They can wipe that out. That's great. But he sees beyond that. He sees beyond his circumstances. So we're going to go pick up at verse 18. And it says, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this enemy with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And let's note that the word that was translated into blindness here has more of a connotation of deception rather than pure loss of sight. So that they were seeing something that was different than what reality really was. And so we'll continue. Elisha told him, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. As they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were, inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. And so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. 
Elisha had the opportunity to go blood for blood. Hey, you came for me. Let's, let's see you guys end. But instead of destroying the enemy, Elisha says, why don't we blind them instead? And this is where it starts to get weird. This blindness wasn't to imprison them, but rather to feed them and then send them home. Like, I'm not much of a planner. You know, my planning process is mostly like bad idea, then another bad idea, and then throwing out all those ideas, and then picking a normal one. But this, this would not have made it. I wouldn't have been like, oh, this is a great idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to find this enemy that is, has considerable strength, and I'm going to go treat them well. Like, I would, I'd be looking for compensation for their lives, something like that. And I think sometimes we look for perfect airtight ideas when we just need ideas that need God to pull it off. Instead of being ideas that are perfect, but, you know, they would go more smoothly if God was involved. And I think we can learn from his example to think big and to think God big. Because he relied on a plan that only God could pull off. It, it wasn't, it's not a good plan. It's not a great plan. But it's a great plan only because God was the one that was involved with it. But I think this also brings us to our prayer life. Because when God sent an army already to the city to defend the attack, who here would still have the boldness to ask for even more from God? We see examples in scripture where this is the case. Like when Abraham negotiated with God for to save Sodom and Gomorrah. He was like, God, you know, if there's only like 20 people, would you save those places? And then he just, and God's like, ah, I guess, sure. And then he keeps going lower and lower and lower. And he's like, God, you know, look, if there's just one righteous person in Sodom and Gomorrah, could you like not destroy them? The boldness, the audacity, right? But I'll be honest. This example makes me realize that my prayers are not bold enough. That I limit my prayers and imagination of what God can do to something that seems convenient for him. Or I limit them to things that don't actually need God's intervention. How many times have I prayed for God to just be with me during a day when I have the Holy Spirit living inside me? Like, how is he not going to be with me? Or when I go and look at someone's situation, I'm like, God, could you help them out during it? 
when I could be praying for God to completely overturn? What's your prayer life like? Do you dare to dream boldly and ask God boldly? Do we dare to pray more boldly for our colleagues, our friends, and our families? And would your prayers change if you knew God would answer them today? God answered your prayers today. Would you be kind of sad that you didn't ask for more? Like, hey, God, if you're going to do this, I should have asked for that more. Why live with that regret? Pray boldly. Because our friends, families, brothers and sisters, the world, we all need, they need Big prayers, transformative prayers. Because we see that Elisha's changed the entire situation. He, he turned the tables on the whole situation twice. First, when there's the angels, but second, when instead of blood for blood, paying wrong with destruction, he decides to pay them with good, feed them instead. His example shows us that spiritual vision isn't just seeing the here and now, to just see the spiritual forces in our life, but it's also to see beyond, to see beyond our circumstances, and to see that God can do even more than we can imagine. When you try to find references in the Bible about vision, what you're going to find is not going to be anything really on sight, actually. When you look at vision in the Bible, what you're going to see are references to prophecies, to revelations from God. People who could see the future and say, this is what God is going to do. The world needs you guys to be prophets, to see past the situation, see past circumstances, and to say, God can do more than you could ever imagine right here in this situation, and God will do it. So just bringing it all together, God is calling us to not only just see the spiritual forces in our lives, but to, see the be, be, but to see beyond the battle and to look forward. Thank you so much.